The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 6, to the chief musician with stringed instruments on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Okay, you see me putting the Bible down instead of going to our sermon text. The reason why is because it's 51 verses long. And so I can either read it at the beginning and give you the poem at the end or skip the beginning reading, which I'm going to do because we're going to have all of the verses during the sermon. This is very similar to what we experienced in Numbers chapter 7. I've only done this once before. Number seven, if you remember, every uh, division of the tribes took forward their offering. And it was a long, long, long set of verses. And we found out that all of those verses were put in there to show two differences in all of the text. And you wouldn't have known it unless you went into the Hebrew and found it. And it took Sergio's computer to do that. But that was the reason for all of those verses. And we have something similar here. We've got a sermon which is a lot of verses, it's going to take us just a few minutes to get through. You're going to be going, how do we get through it so quickly? But there's one reason in particular. Now, there's lots of reasons why these names are in here and all of those other things. But there's one reason in particular for all of these verses and the specificity. And we'll see that in this sermon. This is called the Second Census, Part 1. Today, we have a sermon that is comprised almost solely of names and numbers. Very little else will be presented, and almost all of the time, you will simply be hearing the meaning of the names of the people, or in some cases, the best guess of the meaning. Some names are so rare and so obscure that a best guess is all that can be given. Don't fret over the names trying to remember them. You won't. But when evaluating the word one verse at a time, this is the logical and proper way of handling sections like this. There may be a time when you say, I need to know what that guy's name means. Okay, you want to name a grandson something from this sermon, right? You want to know what it means. You might need to know that. Don't worry. Someone named Charlie Garrett spent his entire Monday figuring it out for you. There were so many names you're going to see. And I had to sit down and evaluate each one because there are different scholars that have different views on what one name may mean. And sometimes it's very hard to pin it down. Okay? Even if you never come back to this passage again, you won't have lost anything. Sunday morning is to be filled with the word. That much is certain. As I will repeat towards the beginning of the verses, the main thing to pay heed to 
is the fact that this listing differs from the first census because it is based on tribe and then named family unit. On the other hand, the first census was based on the tribe, the chosen leader of each tribe, and then the tribe's total number, as it says, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names. But in that listing, no families were named. Here they are. Why are the named families important? Well, we'll see this as we go along. There is a harmony which is presented that will take us until the end of this sermon to see. Our text verse comes from Deuteronomy chapter 38. This is an important text verse to understand why these families are named the way they are in this particular sermon. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. The Lord plans everything very, very meticulously. This is true with Israel. This is true with the nations. And this is true with the times and the seasons, the epochs and the eras. Everything fits because God is a God of order, structure, harmony, and wisdom. When we take a genealogical listing of people such as are found in today's listing, and we consider that God is the source of this group, and it is recorded for a reason we should say, I'm sure we have important information to be gleaned from it. Such is the case here. Even if it is just one thing that is revealed, it will be something that speaks out that God is in control. We will see this today because this record is another marvelous part of his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have only one long thought for you today. It's according to their families. Verse 1. And it came to pass after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, Here we begin a completely new path in the history of Israel. In Numbers 20, verse 23, we saw this. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom, saying, that was the last time that the Lord addressed Aaron. Shortly after that, Moses, Aaron, and Eliezer ascended Mount Hor, and Aaron was gathered to his fathers. Since then, Moses has been spoken to several times, but now for the very first time, the Lord includes Eliezer in his words, calling him the son of Aaron the priest. This is noted to be after the plague. The plague was mentioned in verses 8 and 9 of the previous chapter, where it was seen that 24,000 had perished. Now, because of this large change in the size of Israel, and because this is an entirely new generation, a census will again be made of the people. The plague is seen to have come after the deaths of the previous generation, who were told they would die for disobedience. Therefore, it means that those who died were of those who should have entered into Canaan and been granted an inheritance with the people. But through their own fault, this was denied them. The lesson had been learned, and now a counting of those who remained is set to take place. It should be remembered that the previous chapter ended with Moses being instructed to harass the Midianites. The census is taken before this, not after. This is evident from the words of chapter 31, where statements are made concerning the number of the fighting men who survived the battle. We can assume that they took this census and they knew who was going out to battle, along with the people that were designated at that time. All right. Those words clearly indicate that the battle against Midian occurred after the census, which will now be taken. Verse 2. 
take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and above by their father's houses, all who are able to go to war in Israel. The words are similar to what was stated to Moses over 38 years earlier. Numbers 1 verses 2 and 3 said, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names. Every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. That census was intended to have an accurate counting of the men who would enter Canaan and be ready for battle just a few short days afterwards. But such would not be the case. Instead of counting how many would fight the Lord's battles, there was accounting for all to know how many would perish in the wilderness. Now, those who are battle-ready will again be counted. However, the census is also made to catalog who is in what family and where people belong accordingly. And then from those numbers, it will be determined how the land of Israel would be portioned out. This will become evident before the census is complete. Verse 3, So Moses and Eliezer, the priest, spoke with them. What is left unstated, but what should be understood, is that Moses and Eliezer are to speak to the leaders of the people just as during the first census. This is obvious from how the next verse is worded. Verse 3 going on, In the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho, saying, They are bot Moab al Yarden Yericho. In the plains of Moab, by Jordan, Jericho. It is the same location as that recorded in Numbers 22, verse 1. Israel is still encamped where they were when Balak called Balaam to come and curse the people, which is directly opposite Jericho in the land of Canaan. Verse 4, take a census of the people from 20 years old and above, just as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. The words, take a census of the people, are inserted by the translators, but they are rightly included. Further, the idea of having come out of Egypt is stated to show that the same group of people standing before Moses now and who are about to be counted are the same people who came out of Egypt or who descended from those who came out of Egypt. Now, why is that important? Because of the typology. It's showing that Israel that went into exile in 70 AD is the same group of people who has returned to the land of Canaan in our lifetime. Remember, all of the typology that we've seen in these sermons that have gone between those two events. The Lord did not unredeem Israel. Rather, they remained under his control despite their extended period of punishment. What was started will find its completion even though there is a sizable delay in having it come about. Verse 5, Reuben was the firstborn of Israel. The children of Reuben were of Hanok, the family of the Hanokites, of Palu, the family of the Paluites. The listing of the tribes follows that of Numbers chapter 1, with the exception of Manasseh being placed before Ephraim in this census. The names begin with the firstborn, Reuben, which means, see, a son. He came through Jacob's wife, Leah. His sons are listed with Hanuch, or dedicated first. Next is listed Palu, meaning separated, distinguished, or even wonderful. Verse 6 of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites of Carmi, the family of the Carmites. Chetzron means enclosure or surrounded by a wall. Carmi means vine dresser or my vineyard. Verse 7, these are the families of the Reubenites. Here we have the main feature of this particular census, the tally according to family. 
The stress on the unity of the family along with the unity of the tribe is given because the land is to be divided not merely by tribe, but by family within the tribe. The evidence of this will be seen especially when we arrive at the families of Manasseh and we see what occurs there. Verse 7 continues, those who were numbered of them were 43,730. The total in Numbers 1 was 46,500. That means Reuben is decreased by 2,770. Some of this decrease is probably attributable to the families of Dathan and Abiram being destroyed in Korah's rebellion in Numbers chapter 16, as will be noted in a minute. Verse 8, and the son of Palu was Eliav. Ubene Palu Eliav. And the sons, the Hebrew is plural, of Palu were Eliav. It is plural. But there's only one son. The plural is given for the singular to indicate the family. Eliab means my God is father. Verse 9, the sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. Nemuel may be the same as Yemuel. Yemuel means day of God. Datan probably means their law. Abiram means exalted father or my father is exalted. Verse 9 going on, these are the Dathan and Abiram representatives of the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord. The infamy of Dathan and Abiram are remembered, but they're remembered as representatives of the congregation. The word used is kari, and it is the last time that it will be seen in scripture. It signifies called or famous. They weren't just average Joes, but rather they were leaders who stood against Moses and Aaron. Because Moses and Aaron were called of the Lord, these men are said to have contended against the Lord. And because of this, verse 10, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign. The fate of these men is recounted in order to remind the people of what occurred and that these men were from Reuben. They had no right to the priesthood or leadership, and yet they presumed to take hold of what was not theirs. Here it says that they became a ness or a sign. It is the same word used to describe the standard upon which was placed the bronze serpent. They were to be remembered as a conspicuous sign or banner to the people of Israel to never again attempt to usurp the Lord's decisions concerning his leadership and mediatorial choices. Verse 11, nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. There are many views on the inclusion of these words. It says in Numbers 16, now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. What is probable is that the sons of Korah were old enough to have moved out and started their own families. Therefore, they were not a part of those who were destroyed with Korah. It is a statement then that the children of the fathers will not be destroyed with their fathers if they do not share in their sins. Verse 12, the sons of Simeon, according to their families, were of Nemuel, the family of the Nemulites, of Jamin, the family of the Jamanites, of Jachin, the family of the Jachinites. <laughs> Simeon means he who hears. He is the second son of Jacob and also born through Leah. Nemuel, again, may be the same as Yemuel or day of God. Yamin means right hand. Yakin means something like 
he will establish. You'll see that name, one of the pillars in front of Solomon's temple. You have two of them, Jachin and Boaz, or Yakin. All right, he will establish. Verse 13, of Zerah, the family of the Zarhites, of Shaul, the family of the Shaulites. Zarach means dawning. Shaul means asked for. Verse 14, these are the families of the Simeonites, 22,200. The total number for Simeon in Numbers 1 is 59,300. Here it is, 22,200. Thus, his numbers dropped by 37,100. It is the largest decrease of any tribe. This is probably because many of the tribe were killed in the matter of Peor, which we just got through. It appears that it is their tribe which was most associated with that, and thus they were destroyed by the sword and plague because of it. Verse 15, the sons of Gad, according to their families, were of Zephon, the family of the Zephonites, of Hagi, the family of the Haggites, of Shuni, the family of the Shunites. Gad means good fortune. He is the seventh son of Israel, and the firstborn to Leah's maid Zilpah. He is recorded now because he was encamped with Reuben and Simeon. Zephon means something like gaze, as in watching. Hagi means festal. Shuni means something like resting or quiet. Verse 16, of Ozni, the family of the Oznites, of Eri, the family of the Erites. Ozni means my hearing or my ear. Eri means watching or maybe watcher of the Lord. Verse 17, of Arod, the family of the Arodites, of Areli, the family of the Arelites. Arod is a rare and it's a difficult name. It may mean fugitive. Areli probably means heroic or valiant. Verse 18, these are the families of the sons of God, according to those who are numbered of them, 40,500. The total number for God in Numbers 1 is 45,650. Here it is 40,500. Thus his numbers drop by 5,150. As God was positioned on the same side of the sanctuary as Reuben and Simeon, it is possible that his numbers were reduced by the same events as those for the other two tribes. Verse 19, the sons of Judah were Ur and Onan, and Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. Judah is the fourth son of Jacob and the fourth born to Leah. The first two sons of Judah and what little is recorded about them is found in one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, Genesis 38. It's a marvelous picture of Christ and his work to come, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what that is picturing, it's not the immorality that everybody tries to find in those passages. It is a beautiful, beautiful passage. They died before the Lord because of the sins they committed. Judah means praise, Ur means watchful, Onan means strong or vigorous. Verse 20, and the sons of Judah, according to their families, were of Shelah, the family of the Shelanites, of Perez, the family of the Parzites, of Zerah, the family of the Zarhites. Shelah means sent out or branch, Peretz means breakthrough, Zerach means dawning. Verse 21, and the sons of Perez were of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Hamul, the family of the Hamulites. Chetzron, it means enclosure or surrounded by a wall. Hamul means spared. Verse 22, these are the families of Judah, according to those who are numbered of them, 76,500. The total number for Judah in Numbers 1 is 74,600. Here it is 76,500. Thus his numbers increased by 1,900. Verse 23, the sons of Issachar, according to their families, were of Tola, the family of the Tolaites, of Pua, the family of the Punites. Issachar means he is wages. He is the ninth son of Jacob and the fifth born to Leah. 
Tola means worm. Pua is difficult to determine. Maybe it means mouth or utterance. Verse 24 of Jashub, the family of the Jashubites, of Shimron, the family of the Shimronites. Yashuv means he returns. Shimron means vigilant guardian. Verse 25, these are the families of Issachar. According to those who are numbered of them, 64,300. The total number for Issachar in Numbers 1 is 54,400. Here it is 64,300. Thus his numbers increased by 9,900. Guess where we are? We've already gone through half of the yeah. verses. All right? It's all downhill from here, folks. Verse 26, the sons of Zebulun, according to their families, were of Sared, the family of the Sardites, of Elon, the family of the Elonites, of Jaliel, the family of the Jalielites. Zebulun means glorious dwelling place. He is the tenth son of Jacob and the sixth born to Leah. Sared is from a root meaning to tremble. Elon means oak. Yaliel means hope of God. Verse 27, these are the families of the Zebulunites, according to those who are numbered of them, 60,500. The total number for Zebulun in Numbers 1 is 57,400. Here it is 60,500. Thus his numbers increased by 3,100. Verse 28, the sons of Joseph, according to their families, by Manasseh and Ephraim were. Yosef means he will add. He's the 11th son of Jacob and the firstborn to Rachel. Manasseh means forgetting. Ephraim means twice fruitful. Verse 29, the sons of Manasseh, of Machir, the family of the Machirites, and Machir begot Gilead. Of Gilead, the family of the Gileadites. Manasseh, son of Joseph, was adopted by Jacob to receive an inheritance among his other sons. He is the firstborn of Joseph. His son Machir means salesman. 1 Chronicles 7, verse 14 says that Manasseh bore Machir by a concubine from Aram. This may explain why he then named his own son Gilead. Gilead means perpetual fountain or heap of booty. It is the border area between Syria and Canaan. And he may have called him this to honor the union between the two people groups he came from. This also explains why this is said in Numbers 32. And the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. So Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. The same place from which Machir's son was named because of the union between his father and mother, Manasseh and Manasseh's Aramitess concubine actually became their possession. It was like its own little self-fulfilling prophecy. Verse 30, these are the sons of Gilead, of Jeazer, the family of the Jeazerites, of Helek, the family of the Helekites. Eazer means helpless. Helek means portion. Verse 31, of Asriel, the family of the Asrielites, of Shechem, the family of the Shechemites. Asriel means vow of God. Shechem means shoulder. Verse 32, of Shemida, the family of the Shemidaites, of Hefer, the family of the Heferites. Shemida means name of knowing. Hefer means pit. Verse 33, now Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, had no sons but daughters. And the names of the daughters of Zelophehad were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terza. Here now are introduced five women who will be mentioned four times together in Numbers and Joshua. An upcoming sermon, which is already typed, will be based almost solely on these five women. They are the daughters of Salofahad, or shadow of fear. Machla means infirmity. 
It is akin to the name of one of the sons of Elimelech and Naomi in the book of Ruth. If you remember, his name was Machlon. Noah signifies shaky girl or wandering. Chogla means turning in joy. It is akin to the word Chag, which is a festival. Milka means queen. Terza means well-pleasing or delight. Noting now that Zelophehad had only daughters and then naming those daughters is intended to pave the way for a legal decision concerning land division, which will be mentioned in the next chapter, coming soon to a sermon near you. Verse 34, these are the families of Manasseh, and those who were numbered of them were 52,700. The total number for Manasseh in Numbers 1 is 32,200. Here it is, 52,700. Thus, his numbers increased by 20,500. This is the largest increase of all of the tribes. Verse 35, these are the sons of Ephraim, according to their families, of Shutelah, the family of the Shutelites, of Becher, the family of the Bachrites, of Tahan, the family of the Tahanites. Ephraim was son of Joseph. He was adopted by Jacob to receive an inheritance among his other sons. He is the second son of Joseph. Shutalach means something like breach of ruins. Becker means firstborn. Tahan means encampment. Verse 36, and these are the sons of Shutalach, of Aaron, the family of the Aaronites. Ve'ele bene Shutalach. And these are the sons, plural, of Shutalach. As in verse 8, the plural stands for the singular. Aran means watchful. Verse 37, these are the families of the sons of Ephraim, according to those who are numbered of them, 32,500. The total number for Ephraim in Numbers 1 is 40,500. Here it is, 32,500. Thus his numbers decreased by 8,000. <coughs> Jacob had prophesied that Ephraim would become greater than his older brother Manasseh. And so it appears here that the prophecy had failed, but such is not the case. In the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 33, which occurs only days away from this account right here, Moses will again prophesy of the greatness of Ephraim over Manasseh. In the end, this will be the case. This great change in numbers in favor of Manasseh here will be temporary. How amazing is the prophetic word. Verse 37 continues, These are the sons of Joseph according to their families. This is stated in this way to show that Jacob's double blessing upon his beloved Joseph, calling the names of Joseph's sons as his own, stood. Verse 38, The sons of Benjamin according to their families were of Bela, the family of the Belaites, of Ashbel, the family of the Ashbelites, of Ahiram, the family of the Ahiramites. Benjamin means son of the right hand. He is the twelfth son of Jacob and the second born to Rachel. Bela means gulp and thus destruction. Ashbel means flowing. Achiram means brother of height. Verse 39 of Shufam, the family of the Shufamites, of Hufam, the family of the Hufamites. Shafufam is how you pronounce that, means serpent. Hufam means protected. Verse 40, and the sons of Bela were Ard and Naaman. Of Ard, the family of the Ardites. Of Naaman, the family of the Naamites. Ard means fugitive. Naaman means pleasant. We have a chihuahua at our house named Naama, the feminine of that name. She is pleasant, except her breath, which is terrible. <laughs> it's because I found her in the project. Somebody had abandoned her, and she had a broken tail showing abuse. 
it's hard to break a dog's tail, I can tell you that. And secondly, she was herniated. And the way that happens is when somebody doesn't want a dog to bark and they get mad at it and they hold its mouth real tight and they don't let it breathe, that air has got to go somewhere. And she herniated. And it would be too expensive for them to fix their dog, so they just threw it out. And so I put it in the paper. Nobody claimed it. I took it home and we got her fixed, but she's got permanently bad breath. She is pleasant but not in that way. Verse 41, these are the sons of Benjamin according to their families and those who were numbered of them were 45,600. The total number for Benjamin in Numbers 1 is 35,400. Here it is 45,600. Thus his numbers increased by 10,200. There's a rather large difference between the names here and those of the family of Benjamin back in Genesis 46. There are two explanations which are given one is that the grandsons were counted as sons, and that is something which is acceptable in genealogies, or that some of the sons may have died early or childless. Verse 42, these are the sons of Dan according to their families of Shuham, the family of the Shuhamites. These are the families of Dan according to their families. Dan means judge. He is the fifth son of Jacob and the first from his concubine Bilhah. Shuham means humbly. Again, as has been seen twice, this verse says sons in the plural, which is simply the plural standing for the singular. Dan had one son. Verse 43, all the families of the Shuhamites, according to those who were numbered of them, were 64,400. Here, the counting of Dan is under his single son, Shuham. Despite being one son, he became a giant-sized family. The total number for Dan in Numbers 1 is 62,700. Here, Shuham is listed as 64,400. Thus, his numbers increased by 1,700. Verse 44, the sons of Asher, according to their families, were of Jimna, the family of the Jimnites, of Jeshui, the family of the Jeshuites, of Berea, the family of the Bereites. Asher means happy. He is the eighth son of Jacob and the second born to his concubine, Zilpah. Yimna means right side and thus prosperity. Yishvi means equal. Berea means in trouble. I wonder why he did as a kid. Verse 45, of the sons of Berea, the, of Heber, the family of the Heberites, of Machiel, the family of the Machielites. Hever means community. Machiel means my king is God. Verse 46, and the name of the daughter of Asher was Sarah. Sarach means abundance. The rarity of mentioning the name of a daughter is not to be missed. She is recorded here setting her apart as a noted exception to the standard names in such a record. The only record I could find on her is from the sage Maimonides, who said that she was the daughter of Asher's wife by another man who had no sons and therefore his inheritance went to her. That may be a Jewish fable attempting to explain her inclusion, so please do not make a permanent stamp in your brain with what I just told you. Verse 47, these are the families of the sons of Asher, according to those who are numbered of them, 53,400. The total number for Asher in Numbers 1 is 41,500. Here it is 53,400. And so his numbers increased by 11,900. Verse 48, the sons of Naphtali, according to their families, were of Jaziel, the family of the Jazielites, of Guni, the family of the Gunites. Naphtali means my wrestling. It could mean my twisting as well, but it's my wrestling. He is the sixth born to Jacob and the second born to his concubine, Bilhah. Yahsiel means God divides. Guni means my defense. Verse 49 of Jazer, the family of the Jazerites, of Shalim, the family of the Shilamites. 
Yetzer means form or purpose. Shalim means recompense. Verse 50, these are the families of Naphtali according to their families and those who were numbered of them were 45,400. The total number for Naphtali in Numbers 1 is 53,400. Here it's 45,400. Thus his numbers decreased by 8,000. Verse 51 finishes us up today. These are those who are numbered of the children of Israel, 601,730. The corresponding number in Numbers 1 was 603,550. Thus, in the years since leaving Sinai, there was a decrease in the people of 1,820. In other words, the total number of people, though reduced, had remained virtually unchanged during the years of wilderness wanderings. Of the 12 tribes listed here, five decreased in size, Reuben, Simeon, Gad, Ephraim, and Naphtali. The other seven all saw increases. Of these 12 tribes, there are 57 family divisions recorded. The largest numerical increase was that of Manasseh, increasing by 20,500. The largest decrease was Simeon, dropping by 37,100, more than one half of what it was at the start. They are both the largest percentage changes as well, and surprisingly, changing by exactly 63% up and 63% down. Interestingly, if you take the 57 named families and then add in the names of the 12 patriarchs and then add in the name of their father, Jacob, you will arrive once again. Here it is, the reason for all of this detail, a total of 70. The proportion is the same as that was recorded in Jacob when he went down to Egypt in Genesis chapter 46. And then it was recorded again in Exodus chapter 1. Further, it is the same as the number of nations listed according to the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10. Everybody understanding what's going on here? I'm going to take you back to our text verse of the day. Our text verse says, When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he separated the boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. We got into a lot of detail in our prophecy update today about illegal immigrants. This is an attack not against the United States of America. This is an attack against the structure which God has ordained in his word. He set the boundaries of the nations. He set the peoples in those nations, and they are to stay there unless they go to a nation and become a part of that nation. This thing that is going on in our nation and in Europe right now to destroy those nations from the inside by having people come in and not become a part of those nations is against the will of God. And that is explained explicitly in this verse right here. I understand that people don't like this illegal immigrant thing and they don't want to talk about it and they get upset about it. But the fact is that this was ordained by God in his word and he has made this point now time after time after time. It's a very important issue that we fail our creator when we work against our creator in this issue. I've got a friend now that's been trying to come to America for three years. He's doing it legally, and that is always the case. We have the largest legal immigration of any country on this planet in the United States of America and refugee population. We outnumber the number of refugees of the entire rest of the world combined in the United States of America. But illegal immigration is illegal. And this is why this particular chapter is once again listed in here. 
if you find a problem with it, you are finding a problem with God who has ordered these things to be the way that they are. There is an order and there is a harmony in how the Lord conducts his affairs in the world. And that order is worked out in and through the people of the world, both obedient and disobedient. The number 70 was not arbitrarily obtained by pulling one number from here and one number from there in order to come to a result. It is exactly what is intended in this listing. As it said in verse 2, take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, every male individually. The families are what have been detailed in this listing. I said there was a difference between this and the first census. That is it right there. The father's houses noted in that verse are the 12 patriarchs. Manasseh and Ephraim fall under Joseph, and Levi, though counted separately due to inheritance, is one of the 12 patriarchs. We're going to have the second part of the census next week, and it is going to detail Levi. Why isn't Levi and all of his families included in here? Can anybody explain that to me? Because he belongs to the Lord. That is exactly right. He received no land inheritance. That is why this listing is the way it is, and this is the marvel and the beauty of God's word, which we diminish, which we tear apart, which we say is unreliable and it's got contradictions, and yet there is no contradiction. We have gone through Numbers, every single verse of the book of Numbers, and we have seen things that people have argued against to the point of tedium. And yet when it's studied, we have found the beauty of Jesus Christ revealed on every single one of those sermons, including this one, because these tribes lead to Jesus Christ. So even though there's not a typological picture in here other than the 70 nations, these tribes lead to Jesus Christ, and they are going to be put in a certain portion of the land of Israel in 12 different locations. And guess what? Some of them that have larger numbers are going to go into smaller areas of land. It's not by the individual it's by the family. Once again, we have something in this word which is showing us what is going on in the world right now, which is being diminished by the globalists in order to destroy the structure and harmony of what God has laid out in the nations. I feel bad for people that can't see that. They need to wake up to what's going on because this is just like an attack against the family. It is an attack against the nations established by God. When the Most High divided the nations, he did it according to the number of the sons of Israel. That is what's going on here. Therefore, this entire long and seemingly tedious listing has been given to show us one thing, that God is in control. After 38 years of these people wandering in punishment and dying off as they went, the harmony and structure of Israel never changed. Israel went down to Egypt as a group of 70. This number was restated a couple hundred years later before their exodus from Egypt for the purpose of showing that the same group who went was the same group who came out only vastly larger in number. In their affliction in Egypt, they had grown abundantly and multiplied exceedingly. However, after their being redeemed from Egypt, they rebelled against the Lord and their numbers were diminished overall. Well, their total number of adults was completely eradicated, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. The Lord consumed them in the wilderness, and yet he preserved them through the wilderness at the same time. And now, as that time ends and the prospect of future blessing is set before them once again, the tally shows that he has been overseeing every step of this process. 
nothing is left to chance, and every detail harmoniously shouts out, I am the Lord, and I am in control. We can learn from Israel. They were afflicted, and the Lord prospered them. They were given freedom and abundance, and they rebelled against him. The Lord comforts those who face affliction, and his hand is against those who are contrary to him. That's coming to a tribulation period in this world soon. That's what's going to happen because we are acting in a manner contrary to him. It is that simple. Even if in the short term it seems otherwise. We get blessings and we say, oh, God is blessing me. I must be in right with God. And we're fooling ourselves because when we get blessed as Israel throughout the years has been blessed and what happens the blessing turns itself into a curse because you no longer need your creator you no longer rely on him because you've got everything you need and I'm wealthy and I've got food and I've got abundance and you forget the God that gave you those things in the first place he gave you the wisdom to make things and to produce things and we reject him we turn our back on him and we pay for it be sure that if you are sitting here with a difficult time weighing you down he is there with you in it. And be sure that if you are hiding some sin from him, you aren't hiding anything from him. He is fully aware of it. Draw close to him and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I'll tell you something funny about that right there. I typed this how many weeks ago? Ten weeks ago, I typed this particular sermon. It's been sitting there. And guess what verse from the book of James I typed this morning on our ongoing daily commentary? those words right there. I woke up this morning, I started typing, I laughed out loud. Oh my goodness. So funny. Turn your heart to the Lord and be refreshed in the cleansing power of Christ. But whatever you ultimately choose to do, today's passage shows that your decision will not change the fact that he is completely in control of the situation. He is a God of order despite our lives of disorder. We have all kinds of troubles in this life, don't we? We have pains. Our brother Bob, three times in the past couple years, has had a stroke. That's disorder, and it's scary, isn't it? Yeah. I was scared for you. Your friends here were scared for you. <clears throat> but God was there with him in it, and he's going to carry Bob to his heavenly home. We lost our precious Miss Magnuson recently, and she, yeah. until her last day, was smiling in the great pain that she's been in for months and months and months. She understood what I just said to you. God is in control. He's not out of control. And if you are his, you are the redeemed of the Lord. Your fate is secure. But that's if you are a member of the body of Jesus Christ. And there's only one way for that to happen. It's to believe the gospel. The gospel message says that Jesus Christ stepped into the stream of humanity. He lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. He lived the law of Moses, all 613 of those laws, perfectly and then he gave that life up in exchange for where we have failed in that regard. We've all sinned. We've all broken one or two or ten of the Ten Commandments. And guess what? As I said recently, coveting is something you don't actively do, right? I mean, it's not something you go out and you do. It's only between you and God, and yet he knows that you're coveting. And when you covet, you break one of the other commandments in the process. So you're guilty, folks. But Jesus Christ took that guilt he lived that life, and then he says, if you will come to me, if you will simply receive me, I will give you life. I will restore you. You will go from Adam, our first father, to me, to Jesus Christ, and it is forever. He's not going to take that away because, as we have seen in these sermons, and I alluded to it during this sermon, 
Israel is a picture of our individual salvation. God made a covenant with them. All of them are not saved. That's not the point. But Israel was given a covenant as a group of people. And we are given the same type of covenant, a promise by God that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So their salvation, they were exiled. They went under punishment, seen in all these intervening sermons, and then they were returned back to the Lord at the end of the 38 years, picturing all of this time. The patterns have been incredible, haven't they? But they are back there in the land right now, getting ready to fulfill destiny. And they're going to go through the tribulation because they're still not right with God, but he will not reject them. He said it himself. When you say, speaking to Jerusalem, the leaders of Israel, Baruch haba Bashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you will see me again. It's up to Israel. He is faithful to that unfaithful group of people. And so he will be equally faithful to you if you simply accept the premise. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that he went into the grave and I believe that he rose again. And that is the gospel. If you believe that, you will be saved. And after that, the very moment you believe, God seals you with his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, which is a guarantee. It is the deposit, the Erevon, which I referred to in Genesis 38, my, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. The Erevon in Hebrew, the Erevon in Greek. Very rare to happen in the Bible because it's picturing God's salvation for you and me. Call on Jesus and be saved. I got a closing verse here for you from Romans 11. Talk about God's faithfulness to Israel. Here it is. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake because of the gospel. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Go look at Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, the Erevon. For as you were once disobedient to God, you have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they may also obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Thank God for Jesus Christ, who looked down on me years ago in my sinful state and said, I will forgive even Charlie Garrett of the things that he has done. Pick one of the big ten, folks. I've done it. Next week, Numbers 26, 52 through 65. It's the end of a long chapter. It's true. It's entitled The Second Census. Part 2. That'll be our 51st number sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in the desert wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there. He's carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? 51 verses was an exciting sermon. Isn't it wonderful? I mean, you get tedium and name and name and my head is exploding. What's all this for? Because God is about to make a point. He never wastes words in his word. And there are probably a million other patterns in here which we did not go through. But we got the main one. And that's what's important. We got to go on. We could spend forever in this one chapter, I'll bet. But we got to go on. One chapter at a time. 51 verses and we're done quicker than most sermons. This is going to be a long poem, though. I won't lie to you. We're going to be here till 12 o'clock tonight. It's called The Second Census. And it came to pass after the plague, without any further delaying, that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel, from 20 years old and above, as to you I now tell, by their father's houses, all who are able to go to war in Israel. 
So Moses and Eliezer the priest, as the account was next relaying, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people from 20 years old and above. No one shall be clipped, just as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. Reuben was the firstborn of Israel. The children of Reuben were of Hanok, the family of the Hanokites, of Palu, the family of the Paluites, for sure, of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Carmi, the family of the Carmenites. So all the names agree. These are the families of the Reubenites. Those who were numbered of them were 43,730. And the son of Palu was Eliab, the poor guy. The sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abraham. That is why. These are the Dathan and Abraham representatives of the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron acting untoward in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign against anyone else who might have tried. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. The Lord is gracious and merciful. That is why. The sons of Simeon, according to their families, were of Nemuel, the family of the Nemuelites, of Jamin, the family of the Jamnites, so we see. Of Jachin, the family of the Jachinites, of Zerah, the family of the Zarhites, of Shaul, the family of the Shaulites, each according to family. These are the family of the Simeonites, all Simeonite born and bred, 22,200. Then the sons of Gad, according to their families, were a large group of families, for sure. Of Zephon, the family of the Zephonites, of Hagi, the family of the Hagites, of Shuni, the family of the Shunites, of Ozni, the family of the Oznites, and there are more to go. Of Eri, the family of the Erites, of Arod, the family of the Arodites, of Areli, the family of the Aralites. That is all the families. Now we know. These are the families of the sons of Gad, all the Gadites born and bred, according to those who are numbered of them, 40,500. The sons of Judah were Ur and Onan, and Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Judah, according to their families, were plenty of these guys for sure. Of Shelah, the family of the Shelanites, of Perez, the family of the Parzites, of Zerah, the family of the Zarhites. That's a lot of ites. And the sons of Perez were of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Hamul, the family of the Hamulites. These are the families of Judah, all Judah born and bred, according to those who are numbered of them, 76,500. The sons of Issachar, according to their families, were of Tola, the family of the Toleites, of Pua, the family of the Punites, and there are more born and bred, of Jashub, the family of the Jashubites, of Shimron, the family of the Shimronites. These are the families of Issachar, according to those who are numbered of them, 64,300. Before I go on, can you imagine her listening to this for the last eight <laughs> days every morning? The sons of Zebulun, according to their families, were of Sered, the family of the Sardites, of Elon, the family of the Elonites, and one more family to be named, born and bred, of Jaliel, the family of the Jalielites. These are the families of the Zebulunites, according to those who are numbered of them, 60,500. The sons of Joseph, according to their families, for sure, by Manasseh and Ephraim, were the sons of Manasseh, of Machir, the family of the Machrites, that is one, and Machir begot Gilead, of Gilead, the family of the Gileadites, yes, Gilead was Machir's son. These are the sons of Gilead, of Jezer, the family of the Jezerites, of Halek, the family of the Helekites, starting us out, of Asriel, the family of the Asrielites, of Shechem, the family of the Shechemites, of Shemida, the family of the Shemideites, of Hefer, the family of the Heferites, lots of families, no doubt. 
Now Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, had no sons but daughters. And the names of the daughters of Zelophehad were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Terza, five daughters, born and bred. These are the families of Manasseh, and those who were numbered of them were 52,700. These are the sons of Ephraim, according to their families, of Shutelah, the family of the Shutelites, of Becher, the family of the Bachrites, so they were, of Tahan, the family of the Tahanites, and these are the sons of Shutelah, of Aaron, the family of the Aaronites, for sure. These are the families of the sons of Ephraim, according to those who were numbered of them, 32,500. These are the sons of Joseph, according to their families, all the sons of Joseph, born and bred. The sons of Benjamin, according to their families, were of Bela, the family of the Belaites, of Ashbel, the family of the Ashbelites, so we see, of Ahuram, the family of the Ahiramites, of Shufam, the family of the Shufamites, of Hufam, the family of the Hufamites, yes, of the Hufamites family. And the sons of Bela were Ard and Naaman, of Ard, the family of the Ardites, of Naaman, the family of the Naamites, born and bred. These are the sons of Benjamin, according to their families, and those who were numbered of them were 45,600. These are the sons of Dan, according to their families, of Shuham, the family of the Shuhamites, born and bred. These are the families of Dan, according to their families. All the families of the Shuhamites, according to those who were numbered of them, were 64,400. The sons of Asher, according to their families, were of Jimna, the family of the Jimnites, as are named, of Jeshui, the family of the Jeshuites, of Berea, the family of the Bereaites, Berea's name they claimed, of the sons of Berea, of Hefer, the family of the Haberites, of Machiel, the family of the Machielites, and the name of the daughter of Asher was Sarah. To that name she claimed the rights. These are the families of the sons of Asher, all born and bred, according to those who were numbered of them, 53,400. And we have one more family to go. The sons of Naphtali, according to their families, were of Jaziel, the family of the Jazielites, of Guni, the family of the Gunites, these for sure. Of Jazer, the family of the Jazerites, of Shilim, the family of the Shilamites, born and bred. These are the families of Naphtali, according to their families, and those who were numbered of them were 45,400. These are those who are numbered of the children of Israel, 601,730, as the record does tell. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness, and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you, to direct our lives would be a mess, and so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock, our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand, and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful lesson of this particular chapter. It's one of those things that we read and we get to the book of Numbers and we just skip right through it and we think, oh Lord, I can't wait to get onto something exciting and short like Ruth. But there's so much treasure in your word and we skip over these things at our own great loss because you're telling us of your love for us, that you're in control even when our lives are out of control and that you will stand with us to the end and you will renourish us when we come into your presence. Israel was banished. They were lost in a wilderness, and yet you brought them back home to yourself. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that it reflects in everything you do for us. Our lives are incomplete without you, and with you, they are full even to overflowing. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, and for what he did for us that we could not do for ourselves. And so it's in his precious and beautiful and exalted name that we pray. 
Amen. Okay, I will admit this while I'm getting this ready. I sent Sergio an email the morning that I was about to type this sermon. And I said, Sergio, please kill me now. <laughs> and by the end of the day, I was so excited at the marvel of what was in God's word. I, Sergio and I got back into it and we talked about things. But I got to tell you, I was looking forward to 51 verses of punishment. And it turned out to be so beautiful, wasn't it? Isn't it just marvelous? Oh.